Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Sometimes we can become overwhelmed in the task of evangelism because we feel an artificial sense that it's all depending on us, that the entire work of saving souls is only on our shoulders. Well, God's Word teaches us that, in fact, all authority belongs to Jesus, and that God's design for evangelism is to utilize the entire church, especially seen in the nature and the character of our worship. Thanks for joining us for this chapter in our study on evangelism as we look at how the Lord's Supper is designed by God to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's soccer season in the Flunker home, so we get to watch Micah go out there and run around and all the kids. I love watching the teamwork happen. I love watching uh, how they communicate to one another. Um, and it's fun to see how each child is uniquely gifted. I mean, you've got some that have just this massive boot of a leg that they can give. Others that have quickness and speed. Others who are super dependable to, to hold on to their positions. Uh, as I've been watching, though, I've, I've discovered there's, there's this one particular player on the team who is probably more skilled than many of the other kids. Uh, he can almost dribble circles around, you know, like a, like a Division II kid that, that shouldn't really be playing soccer. Um, however, he doesn't pass very well. Uh, every time, he'll, he'll work the ball right down and he'll get past defenders and the, the defense will take the time to kind of swarm as he's made it all the way down until he loses it. When someone else was open and all he had to do was pass the ball and it's easy to do when you got your head down, right? When you're focusing on your gift and what it is that you do, unfortunately, you can forget about the rest of the team. God has given so many more uh, uh, gifts to the church uh, than just the one that you have. Uh, you indeed have one, um, but we need to be reminded that the task of evangelism, the task of being a witness of God's love, is not something that you by yourself can complete. God has designed a strategy by which the full expression of his love is only evidenced when it is the body, the full-orbed expression of the multifaceted gifts of the Spirit of God to be seen collectively expressed in the whole body. It's, it's easier sometimes, though, to think you can do it by yourself. Uh, but that's not God's design. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to pay attention to the, kind of this next critical aspect in evangelism, which is the community. We're going to look at one verse in particular and build, a, build the context around it. And I, I want to just emphasize that to you one, once more. It's the context of the passage that determines how we interpret the passage. Because I think the, the passage that I'm going to share with us this morning is one that I think has had some misunderstanding for many centuries. Um, I'm not saying that I'm the ultimate authority on God's word, but I think you'll be able to see as well that as we look at the context, there's a unique way in which we would understand the gifting of God in the expression of the community. And this verse is going to highlight that. So with that, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to just look at verse 26. 
and then seek to build a larger context around what Paul is instructing in this critical passage. As we have um, already mentioned this morning, uh, being a communion Sunday, that's what the whole service is about. Uh, It's my effort this morning uh, to convince you that every month when we celebrate communion, according to God's word, there is a singular, particular reason by which we need to make sure we're going about this the right way. That's my goal for this morning is to convince you of that. So with that, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look with me in verse 26. Paul says these words. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm just going to read that one more time. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I no doubt you've run across this passage before in in your Bible study. Uh, One of the things that just jumps out to me as we're in a series on evangelism is that here we're given a place where the entire expression of the church is doing the speaking. It's not just you. It's not just any one individual. And what I believe is happening is that God has the design within the corporate body structure of the church to give not only the benefit of teamwork, right? Because there's a benefit with teamwork. Not, not everybody has the big boot, right? Not, not everybody is the best dribbler. But collectively, we help one another. That's obvious. We all get that. Teamwork is important. However, I think there's something else at work here. There is, I believe, a supernatural and a spiritual expression that can only be achieved when the church corporately is worshiping God in the way he's designed. You are preaching. A little scary, isn't it? A little great? I thought you were preaching, Pastor. No, you are actually preaching with your lives in how you relate to one another in the community. And so with that uh, as kind of a backdrop, uh, let's build in the context a little bit more. Why does Paul say this here. What what is it that he has been trying to bring conviction to in the Corinthian church that helps make sense of the verse 26 that we read? So for this, go back with me into verse 17 and let's build a little bit of the background to see if the church in Corinth has been doing things right or wrong. Let's see if you can spot it. Verse 17, he says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. How terrible is that? How are they doing? Give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. How are they doing in Corinth? Yeah. Can you imagine how terrible that would be said of your church? If the apostle, through the leading of the inspiration of the Spirit, said, when you guys gather, it's actually worse. You're doing more harm than the good that's happening when you gather. That would be awful. That would be a nightmare to hear, right? Uh, He says, in first place, I hear when you come together in the church, there's divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Verse 20 is a key passage. Here we go. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Let, let, Let me just, let's dwell on that for a moment. 
Uh, the church in Corinth, when they would gather together, the, the communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, was the celebration that was repeated within the gathering of the church setting. When they come together, they would come together around a meal, around a table. And here we find out that according to them, they thought if you were to ask them, if you were to outsider to come in and you'd say, hey man, what is it that you guys do every Sunday? And they'd say, it's the Lord's Supper that we eat every Sunday. What's Paul say? He says, when you come together, it's not. You might call it that. You might have been told it's that. But the way in which you are going about communing together, it nullifies the Lord's Supper. It makes it so that it's something foreign to what Jesus designed. It is not communion. So let's see what the problem was. Verse 21, he says, For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Okay, there you go. Did you catch the problem? Each person in the church cared most about who? They cared about themselves. It's a little bit of a little bit of fore, forewarning here for the pig roast. I know we're all salivating. Get it ready for it, right? Yeah. Just remember this little verse when you get in line, right? Let, oh, yeah, you go ahead of me. Yeah, here's the problem. Everyone was uh, thinking only about themselves. He says in verse 22, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. All right, this is the context. This is the background by which we, all of us who grew up in the church tradition, have heard those, they're called the words of institution. When, when we say, as Jesus in repetition took the bread, giving thanks, and broke it to his disciples, said, take and eat, for this is my body given to you. Do this in what? We're, we're used to hearing that, right? But where does that come from? Where, where is that little saying grounded in, in God's word? It's this passage. The context around the definition of remembering Jesus is found in an abuse that's happening within the church where they care more about themselves than they do the collective expression of charity amongst one another. And so Paul says in verse 23, for what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. By the way, that's the exact same language he uses when he recites the gospel message. When we read it in chapter 15, when we hear Paul say, that which I received, I pass on, he's always referring to a core tenet of the gospel. So let's see what it is. What is, the, what is the core element of the gospel that we find here? Again, in the middle of verse 23, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And now we have the verse we looked at this morning. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
I have sermon notes for you in your bulletin. Just a few observations that I want to highlight on this passage. The first is that the church community speaks through consistency. Uh, You'll see at the very beginning of the verse in 26, he says, whenever you eat of this, whenever you drink of it. Uh, Another version that you might have might say, as often as you do this, you need to do so in a way that's showing consistency. Have you ever had somebody in your life that said one thing and did another? Have you ever seen that? Um, it's a little bit of whiplash sometimes, isn't it? Because I thought this was the plan and now you're showing me this. Let me, let me be honest with you. It's hard to trust a person like that. It's hard to feel safe around a person who doesn't seem to have any pattern of reliability in their lives. And so the first part, the first observation I want you to see that Paul, when he's going to talk about the proclamation of the church, he's going to say, whenever you do it, whenever you do it, as often as you do it, And this means that we as well are going to be speaking, whether you know it or not, in the consistency of our message. Now, how many people are are batting a thousand out of a thousand on not offending our neighbors? Any hands? All right. So, oops, what do we do? There is obvious inconsistency in our lives. Amen. There's there's obvious times. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of this. I know all of us at some point have said or done something either intentionally or. Yeah, probably intentionally, but, you know, maybe accidentally to offend someone. Well, you know what the scriptures teach us, right? The consistency that the consistency that we see in our Christian life. It's this. It's this word right here. It's grace. So that when you make a misstep, when you find yourself out of accord with a brother or a sister, you need to make it right. And that's hard to do in a world of pride and a world of self-righteousness. But I want to submit to you the very first place that the community speaks is through consistency. Secondly, the community's witness must be modeled after the character of Jesus. This one is critical. Your witness... That means that which you say to the world is not modeled after government. It's not modeled after Facebook and TikTok, Twitter, or the the social realm around us. We must take our marching orders from none other than Jesus. He has modeled for the church on what our witness ought to look like. And so if you look back with me into the text once more, I want to highlight what I believe Paul is highlighting. He says in verse 26, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, I think the word that's underemphasized is the word this. It's not whenever you eat the bread or drink from the cup. It's a particular bread. It's a particular cup that have already been defined for us. Jump back just a few verses. You'll see Jesus said, um, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We have the exact same thing mentioned again with the cup in verse 25. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul says, whenever you eat this bread, bread that has been broken in remembrance of Jesus. Now, 
you and I, we're going to stumble over this unless we go back and find out. So what did Jesus do when he first did this? So we're going to do a little Bible study this morning. You guys ready? Give me an amen if you're with me. Amen. All right. Hold your spot here in 1 Corinthians. I'd like you to turn back in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to turn to John chapter 13. And we're going to read the account so that we get exactly what Paul is intending to pass on to the Corinthian church that has been depicted by Jesus at the Last Supper. So John chapter 13. Everybody there? Okay, here we go. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go on to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, look at verse 4. He got up from the meal. He took his outer clothing. I'm sorry, he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin And began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you imagine being one of the disciples there in this moment? Like, like this isn't how Passover is supposed to go. Like, they they from, from infancy have been steeped in the tradition of Passover. And yet, what do they find? The the head of the table, it's Jesus, starts taking off his clothes. This is not normal. Wraps a towel around his waist, grabs some water, and then Jesus takes the role of the lowest servant in the home. Do you know what the newbie's job was if you started on a servant duty in a home? Do you know what you got to do? Yeah, I mean, latrine work was a step above washing feet work. I mean, it was the worst having to wash feet. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Look look how the story continues. He came to Simon Peter, was with him. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and all of you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put, his clo- he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you have done these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, the meal is going to continue. I'm not going to read the rest of it. Jesus does exactly those things that we hear repeated by Paul in 1 Corinthians. But I want to submit to you, when when Paul repeats this, and Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, He's not telling you why you're doing it. He's telling you how you are to do it. 
Can I emphasize that again? I want to make sure that, that we catch this. So when we celebrate communion and, and, and we say, do this in remembrance of me, it's not the why that you are like, oh yeah, I, I thought I forgot about Jesus. I'm, I'm now remembering Jesus. It's, it's not the why that you're doing it. Paul is describing to the Corinthians, remembering Jesus is how you go about the meal. Meaning that you're doing it the way Jesus did it. And how did we just read of Jesus going about the meal? He took himself, who should have been first. Any argument on that? Should Jesus be first? Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus put himself where? Put himself last. What's the context of 1 Corinthians 11 teaching us? The church in Corinth was putting themselves where? First. And so Paul comes, and with Jesus as an example, he says, when you do this, here's how you do it. Do it in remembrance of Jesus, meaning put yourself last and put others first. I, I want to submit to you that this theme in itself is probably one of the key characteristics that we need to understand. The witness of the church community must take its marching orders, must be modeled after Jesus and how Jesus himself modeled it. Look with me back in 1 Corinthians. You can, you can flip back from John 13 in, uh, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 33. It's kind of towards the end of the chapter. Paul says, just to wrap it up, he says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, what's the command here? Wait for who? Wait for each other. Right. That, that, uh, that, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to show you in the context of what Paul has said that the term in remembrance of me is not a why. It's not a, oh yeah, I was supposed to remember Jesus. It's, it's instead, it's the how we are supposed to go about doing this. And you have it in clear black and white. Paul says you need to wait for each other. You need to put one another first. And when you do it in that manner, then you will be doing it in remembrance of Jesus. Thirdly, the community's character preaches. Look with me back in the verse 26. That was our main one. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. I can't, I can't encourage you enough on this church. You are preaching with your behavior, with your lives, how you love and interact with one another, how you put others first, or how you put yourself first, you're preaching to the world. Uh, the word that's used here to preach um, I, is the exact same word. I've listed it out a few more times in the New Testament when it shows up. It's the exact word that's used to describe for preaching the gospel. Now we have, in my Bible, it says the word proclaim. But uh, at the end of the day, you're teaching something about the nature and the character of church by how you live. Uh, when, when I was a young, uh, young kid, my dad took me to Lambeau Field. Now, this is not Packer-specific, folks, so don't get all worried, Lion fans. Um, <laughs> he took me to Lambeau Field, and uh, my uncle had tickets. And so uh, they, they live kind of in uh, central uh, Wisconsin. And so they went into the game, and we stayed outside. And if you've ever been to Lambeau during a game, what's the fun thing everybody does outside of the stadium? tailgated and it was so great i remember just being a little kid i i it was like everywhere i would walk in 
play, we're playing catch, people would be like, hey, you want some beans? You want some brats? Come on over. Like, it was, it was phenomenal. It was like, this was a great big family. It, it, it really made it feel like it was something special to go and be at a game, even if you didn't get to ever watch the game. And then it was the next year, uh, we went out to see some other family members on the East Coast, and we went to an Oriole game at Cadman Yards and in Baltimore. Completely different experience over there. Um, I'm not going to do a Boston accent impression for you all this morning, um, but there was a little bit more of the, hey, I'm walking here, I'm walking here. It was a little bit more of a, I don't know if it felt the same way. Which of those two do you think I want to go back to again? You understand? I, I remember hearing uh, somebody say that they walked in our church, this was years ago, and they sat down and they left and not a single person said hello to them. Now, who thinks that's an anomaly? Like, I don't even know how that's possible here at this church, right? But they didn't come back. Uh, understand the way in which you live in the community Not just your little individual lives when you drive home in your car and get to uh, make lunch at home. No, the community's expression, it is preaching. That's the same word that's used. It's preaching to the world. I'm 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 not saying this. The text says that. Look with me again. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he's come. So let's look at the Lord's death. This is the fourth observation. The community's unity displays the cost of our family. Um, it's a little bit of a, a problematic phrase. You proclaim <clears throat> the Lord's death. Uh, commentators have done their best to try to understand what exactly th- does Paul mean by that. Um, it's, it's not that he's speaking of simply the elements. You're not, you're not proclaiming death as though Jesus died. Well, we have bread and we have uh, uh, wine that's red. It looks like blood, right? So it, it seems like that could be the full extent of it. Jesus died. Is, is that our only message as the church? I don't think that's what Paul means either. You're, you're not just proclaiming the simplicity of his death. Um, you're also not proclaiming the substitution of his death, saying that Jesus died for us or something for our benefit, even though that's part of it. I believe that the exact thing that Paul understands that you are proclaiming in the death of Jesus is this. You, you're proclaiming the cost of your privilege to be in the family of God. Uh, the, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, Um, That if you believe in God, you will be born of God, not born of natural descent by like the decision of a husband and a wife, but rather those who are born of God. Here's what that means. That means that your commitment to one another as a family of God is weighted upon the death of Jesus. The thing that it, it didn't cost anything for you to come into this world in a physical family, right? A relationship between a husband and a wife produces kids, right? That's it. But God himself died on the cross so that you can have a heavenly father, that you can have brothers and sisters. 
And so when you eat this bread, remember the right way, doing it by putting ourselves last, putting others first. When you drink this cup, doing it the right way as remembering the way Jesus did it, you are therefore then proclaiming what the death of Jesus purchases. The death of Jesus has purchased a family of God. And that's what you are proclaiming. It's only seen, though, by your unity. Remember, look with me again in the passage. Go back to verse 18. He says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are what? Anybody following with me here? Verse 18. What was the problem in Corinth? Divisions. Divisions all over the place. Does this happen today in churches? Is there division in churches? Uh, I, I have this book by Ray Steadman called Body Life. It's, it's body meaning the church and enhancing and equipping and a biblical expression of what it looks like to live and serve one another in the body of Christ. Um, there's this one particular uh, passage uh, where he lists out in observation one of the most common phrases in the entire New Testament. It's called the one another's. Do you know how many one another's there are in the Bible? I actually didn't want to type it out, so I just took a screenshot of it here to show you good luck. You'll need some binoculars to read them all. But uh, here's a couple. It just says, serve one another. Uh, Don't be conceited, provoking each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient with one another. Be compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Don't lie to one another. Over and over and over. Look at all of them in John at the end. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love. How many times you got to tell us? Love one another. That the expression of unity in the church is that critical component that shows the cost of Jesus' death on the cross. Are you guys with me on this? Uh, look, look at verse 26 just one more time. I'm hoping that you're seeing it now in, in, a, in a more obvious light. Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And you do so by showing what the cost of Jesus's death has purchased. All right, one last observation. The community must evidence familial love until Jesus returns. The community must evidence familial love until Jesus returns. So in verse 26, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until I'm tired of it, pastor. That's when. Until, until lunchtime starts. That's when. Until, no. You and I are tasked to do this until Jesus returns. I, I want to give you real quick just three reasons why that is. The, the first is because of sin. I don't have these up on the screen, but the first is because of sin. So we need to continue to be gracious with one another. We need to continue to forgive one another and help one another. Why? Because we're all a mess. I didn't hear any amens on that. Let me try that again. Because we're all a mess. That's right. You're going to have problems with each other. And that will happen until you get a redeemed body that's resurrected either from the dead or changed in the twinkling of an eye so that there is no longer that struggle between the flesh and the spirit of God. So that means this this task that this commission Jesus leaves you with here lasts until Jesus returns. The second reason is because God has designed this kind of love to be a witness. 
Literally, the witness that you have before the, before the world is displaying the love of God. He, he's left that for you to do. Until when? Until he returns. There's a design, there's a strategy that God uses. Look at this verse that comes from 2 Corinthians 3. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? It's, it's rhetorical. The answer is no. Why? You yourselves are our letter. But Paul doesn't need to produce any like evidence of his apostleship. He's like, just look at the church. They display the kingdom of God on earth. You are your letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So Paul says, I don't, I don't need to write a letter to preach the gospel. You are the letter. And that's the display of God's love. Here's the problem in Corinth, though. Um, some were following after Apollos. Some Paul they were divided in Corinth. And so the final reason I want to submit to you why we have to do this until Jesus returns is because God's evangelism strategy involves using everybody as one body with Jesus as the head. He's going to return again, church. He is. And you cannot do evangelism by yourself. You can't do it alone. You, you might think that you can dribble the ball all the way to the goal, but you need to pass the ball. You, you need to learn to rely on the gifts of one another and not maverick this whole thing by, your, by yourself. There's a team of people that God has put together that are designed to do the work that you can never do on your own. He needs and desires and strategizes for the whole expression of God's people. Do you have a bulletin? What do I have on the front here? What's it say? Symphonic evangelism is how much of the church? It's the whole church. Everybody needs to be involved. And so look at as we go through this passage, Paul says, after all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted, Apollos watered, but God makes it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I think one of the greatest problems with evangelism and why most of the church is scared to death to do evangelism is because you think you got to grow the whole thing, harvest the fruit and bake it into a cake yourself. You can't. It was never designed that way. God has put you maybe in someone's life to simply plant some what? What, Lisa? You had it, right? Just to plant some seeds. Or maybe those seeds have already been planted. And so God has you to come along with the water bucket and just give them some nourishment. Or maybe, I know this was my task on the mission field, maybe it's that you come along some soil that has never been touched. And your job is to get the plow out and just to just to break up that rocky soil so that the seeds can be followed by somebody else. But there's nobody who does the task completely themselves, finish or beginning to finish on their own. God's designed to use the whole church for this. And so that's why I want you to see once more, you and I proclaim the Lord's death until what? We all do. The whole church does. So what are we going to do with this this morning? Um, 
I, f- I felt like this was insightful to put up here because for years I've taught you that the church is not a building. It's, n- it's not a service. Well, I want to submit to you this morning, it's not even a people, even though that's what I've said for years and years. I believe this passage is showing us that it is a particular people. Right? Because what was the problem in Corinth? Were they acting like the church? That's a bit of a trick question. Yeah, they were totally just acting. They weren't the church, though. Remember, remember, Paul says, I have no praise for you in these things. Your meetings, they do more harm than they actually do good. That's not, is that the church? Does that, does that sound like the church is supposed to be? Uh, the book of Revelation, if you study the letters that are written in chapters 2 and 3, repeated warnings given to the church. You're not going to be the church if you continue along the wrong path. And so what is a church? Well, it's a Christ-imaging people itself. And so here's what I want to encourage us to do, to be interdependent and to appreciate the body. I have in your sermon notes a place at the bottom, and this is how we're going to, we're just going to spend a minute or two this morning on um, trying this. Uh, I want to encourage... Interdependence and appreciation of the body. And so here's what I want to do for just a couple of minutes. Eucharist, that's what this is called, right? Means what? Thanksgiving. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And as I want to see the church um, appreciate one another, and as I want to see the church have that interdependence of, of relying on one another... I want to just ask for some volunteers who would be willing to just say, this is what I am thankful for in our church family. Now, just a couple of ground rules. Uh, This is not your chance to complain or give a sermon, so don't do that if I give you the microphone, right? Um, First one. Second one, I'm just going to take it to believe everybody loves me. So do not say, I'm thankful for Pastor Ryan. Not fishing for a compliment here, guys. So don't, nobody's allowed to say that it's me you're thankful for. I already believe that everybody is. I, I want to know something that you are thankful for within the church as a body. Well, Olivia, you're ready to go? Here, I'm going to hand you the microphone so the people on Zoom can hear you as well. When I came to church this morning, there was an envelope with my name on it from the Secret Sisters. I'm just so thankful that one of you picked me in. It was so nice of you guys, and I wasn't expecting it, so I'm thankful for all the little surprises and everything, like the little compliments every day that just make the world a better place from this church. Awesome. Awesome. The little things go a long way, right? That's awesome, Penny. I got you. I am just thankful for each and every one of you. You show so much love, appreciation, acceptance. And this is just the best church. And I love you all back. Thank you very much. Who else? What are you thankful for? Yeah, Chris. Tracy. So, some of you might be aware, but uh, so we've recently moved, uh, and my in-laws have moved in with us. Uh, Nicole's dad has uh, Parkinson's and heavy on the dementia component of that um and it's been a real challenge for us and uh i get a lot of encouragement especially from the elders but those of you that are aware of the situation um you know a lot of encouragement all the time from you guys especially this guy here and 
of the other elders, and I won't mention the pastor. But I do want to say my wife has absolutely been a rock star through this whole thing, and she has the patience that God has given her through it, and um, some of the things she's having to deal with from her father are a challenge I can't interpret, and um, God's really holding us up through the whole thing, and but I, I really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, giving us your support. So thank you. Let's do a couple more. Let's see who is in the back. I'm really thankful for the children's ministry because um, every day when we leave here, our kids get to talk about it more and more, and we get to like just build on it, and they get to reflect on it. So it's kind of cool. It's really wonderful experience. I am thankful for uh, the men, specifically in the church, who um, just take a minute to, to notice our children, hug them, and just help to guide them along and to give me some uh, smacks on the back or whatever I need at the time. <laughs> you all know who you are, but I, uh, I just think I'm very thankful for that. I'm grateful for people who take their natural uh, likings of plants or creativity or organization and use that to benefit all of us. Bob and Chris for the plants, Patty for the organization, um, Don and Terry for their, and Debbie for their love for the kitchen, just natural things like that that they turn into benefits for all of us. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, Teresa. Um, I'd be terrible in the kitchen and decorating, so. <laughs> Let's try two more. I know there's more. I know my wife is sitting here right now. I don't know if she's listening. I thank her for her because I'm going through medical problems and she's right there 24 7. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. Sandy is such a rock. Every time someone has a medical problem, she's like, first one right there. One more, everybody else. Yeah. Jason's in the back. Famous orange. I'm just thankful for like our small groups and the way the church body handles our children. Uh, and, you know, the first time I came here, my kids were running around and Pastor Ryan called me over and thought, like, no, this is a good thing. This is where they need to be. And it really takes a lot of stress off of us as parents as we're trying to get them to sit perfectly and all that. We know that that's not going to take this much of a battle. So, um, with that, and then the small groups that we've been able to do, we've been able to get all of our kids together and hang out at houses and just you know, really give it the attention it needs and it allows us to kind of see where everyone's at and remind us that we're, there's strength in numbers. I want to make just a, a point to you to say that this is not an attempt to say thanks for any institution in Segola. Remember, the church is a people who image Jesus. And so I, that's what I want to encourage, that the, the Eucharist, the giving thanks, is a thanks to Jesus. And what has Jesus done for you? Well, he has given you a family. He gave it to you by the cost of dying on the cross for your sins. And I think that sometimes... It's like Olivia, the very first one we had, just those, those little things, those little thank yous can go such a long way. That's how I'm